0: Post all our messages online, so you can head to our website, trinitycamore.com, and write on the The main page in the navigation bar, there's a little button for messages. You can click there and and keep up or catch up on on sermons you may have missed or messages you may have missed. Uh, Since we're doing video as well, you can uh, head to our Facebook page. All the videos are on there. If you're watching on Facebook right now, I'd love if you just hit uh, like on the page and and share if you want to others as well, just to, to draw more people in. And if you do like the page, you get notified when we post more content like this. The third space that we're storing and collecting uh, videos is a a YouTube channel. We've got a YouTube channel now. Uh, It's a little tricky to track down because it is new. Uh, So the easiest way is to actually go to our website and go down to the footer, and there's a little YouTube button there. But if you search for Trinity Bible Church Canmore, uh, with a little luck, it'll start to show up there if you're watching on youtube now i'd love if you hit subscribe to the channel and then uh, click that little church bell to get notifications when we uh, post more content like this well we're in the last few verses so if you've got a bible i'd invite you to open up to chapter 4 of ruth with me this morning Uh, we're going to start at verse 13 in in just a couple minutes Uh, for the last time though let me remind us of what has happened through this book In the beginning, we we find out that there was a famine in Bethlehem. So the the house of bread, as Bethlehem was known, had no bread. And then our story kind of zooms in on one family where Elimelech and his wife Naomi flee Bethlehem and go to Moab with their two sons, Malon and Chilion. And really what has happened here is instead of staying in God's place with his people and with his provision, this family has left and gone to another land with another people who were actually enemies of Israel and who worshipped other gods. While they were there, things go from bad to worse. Elimelech dies. The two sons marry Moabite or women who don't believe in the God of Israel and in Orpah and Ruth. And then those sons die without any children as well. And so now we have just uh, the widow Naomi with her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. After some time, we're told about 10 years Naomi's there, she hears that there is harvest in Bethlehem again. And so she encourages her daughters-in-law to go to go back. She releases them from their obligation to her as their mother-in-law and says, go back to your, your people, to your families, and hopefully you can find rest and a husband there. Now Orpah goes with this conventional wisdom and, and leaves. But Ruth instead refuses, and we have read and, and found that, that at some point over this time with Naomi, she's had a, a conversion experience, and she's ready to, to give up everything, to leave everything, her land, her people, and her gods, to follow Naomi back to Naomi's land and be with Naomi's people and Naomi's God, Yahweh. Remember, Ruth says this, where you will go i will go and where you lodge i will lodge and your people will be my people and your god will be my god and where you die i will die and there i will be buried ruth is, is binding herself to naomi here with with covenant language with promise language and the word she uses actually mirrors god's covenant to his people as well where he says i will be your god and you will be my people this covenant they're making, both God and Ruth, this is a no-matter-what kind of covenant. And it pictures for us the, the kind of covenant that we are to have with God and with others as well. And so this is the, the picture we get through the Bible. One of God pursuing his bride, pursuing his church, pursuing his people, pursuing us with this same kind of no-matter-what kind of commitment. The Hebrew word for this is hesed, that he is committed and absolutely devoted to us regardless of what we do. And we can spend a whole Sunday or more mining the depths of this hased and what this word hased means to us. This idea, this covenant language is also to be mirrored in our marriages, which is why wedding vows so often include a until death do us part portion in them. They're also to be mirrored in how we covenant to one another in the church, this is part of what we mean when we say the church is not a building but a people. We are, are a family of brothers and sisters devoted to one another, striving to build one another, one another up in Christ. And isn't that true right now that the church is a people, not a building, as I stand in, a, in an empty room speaking to a camera recording this message. But the whole story of Ruth is about this covenant kind of love. This said love. This is all about faithfulness, and it's ultimately about God's covenant faithfulness being worked out even through the worst of situations. And what we can't miss in this book of Ruth is that throughout, God is working behind the scenes, he's bringing things together, he is at work, he is in control, and he is able to do, like Romans 8 says, to to bring all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so that's the overarching narrative of the book of Ruth. And so what I think we need to think about as we wrap up this book is the idea that, that God uh, restores empty to fullness. Ruth, there's a story about this, about God restoring empty to fullness. And so as we jump in today, I want you to ask yourself and consider now and and regularly, what is my story? Where have I seen God restore Where have I seen God bring fullness into my emptiness? Where have I seen God heal? Where have I seen uh, where I have brought something broken to God and and he brings healing into that brokenness? Where have I seen God bring hope into hopelessness? To bring what, what feels empty and bring it to God and see God fill it with his presence and provision. What's your story? And again, I think we need to do this regularly because we are forgetful people and we forget all the ways that God has redeemed and restored and and brought fullness and hope maybe you're in a place today where you you can't see that in your life yet you can't see that that god is at work and you you want to see him at work you want to see what what god is doing in the lives of naomi and boaz and and ruth you want to see that in your own life but you just can't yet well let me encourage you that the god restores our broken stories and he does that in community and then we can go from there and tell his story to others as well. Now, this is an exceptionally difficult time where, where being in community is really hard, where we have to be socially distanced and isolated from one another. Uh, I admittedly am a bit of an introvert by, neighbor, by uh, nature, but this week, kind of around town and a couple of different stops I had to make, I did bump into a few people from church, and it was, it was all I could do not to just rush up and give people giant hugs. That's not normal for me but I am missing community. For some of us, this COVID-19 thing has just added to the loneliness or maybe emptiness that you've already started to feel a little bit. But I want to encourage you to reach out. I want you to to hit that connect button in the chat or drop a message in the comments. It's not good to be alone. We want to get connected. We want you to be a a part of a community that, that knows God and knows his providence and knows that he does work everything together for the good of those who love him, and that's my hope. That's our hope as a church. That that after this message and after every message, really, that you'd have a hope and a, an expectation for what God is going to do to to fill the emptiness, to heal the brokenness, and restore what is lost. Now, last week we said in some ways was was the climax of the story of Ruth. We we left off, and Ruth and Boaz were together. The townsfolk had prayed this amazing blessing over them, but it's not the end of the story. Ruth has a husband, Boaz has a wife, Naomi has a redeemer that restored the land to her, but there's still no heir. There's still no child in the line of Elimelech. And again, if we consider and put ourselves into this story, Boaz is a little bit older. Ruth had been married for 10 years before and is still childless. So there's there's no guarantee that there will be a baby coming into the story. But one of the things we see through Scripture time and time again is God taking barrenness and bringing fruitfulness out of unlikely situations. And in some ways, that's what we are about to see here. Who knows if this is going to work out except God. Last week, we also said the book of Ruth is actually really ordinary, isn't it? There's no miracles. There's no angels. God doesn't speak. uh, There's no reference to worship service or call to repentance As one writer notes for us, he says, except for mentioning the judges at the beginning and and King David at the end, a bit of a spoiler alert to where we're going today, this book has a small town, off-the-beaten-path feel to it. The characters weren't movers and shakers of the ancient Near East. The events narrated wouldn't have made the front page of the newspaper. Boaz might have been a respected and well-to-do man in Bethlehem, but really we might just say that he was a, a big fish in a really small pond. And yet throughout this book, We see people having faith in God. His his name is on their lips. Even in the midst of trouble and heartache, they they still affirm that he is in control over their lives. And that's one of the things that that I've come to love about the story is that that great example for each one of us that God works in the midst of our struggling, in the midst of our, our doubting and questioning, in the midst of our grief, and in the midst of our ordinary, everyday lives. But in these last few verses, all of a sudden we see that this little story in some small off-the-beaten-path town is a part of something much bigger. It points to something way bigger than itself. It points us towards God's plan of redemption for the world. In these last few verses, we're about to see that the story completes its cycle from barrenness to birth, widowhood to marriage, poverty to riches, bitter to sweet, idolatry to worship, and devastation to redemption. No question, Ruth and Naomi had first been wrecked and then redeemed in lots of ways, financially, relationally, spiritually, and even generationally. But over the last couple chapters, we've watched them heal as they moved back towards God's people and into his presence, as they stepped out in faith, as they took great risks, and they saw God's hand and provision at work. One writer reminds us that their little story echoes the big story of Jesus, and it reveals that life comes after death. if you're reading this story in the midst of a a painful season of life, Ruth and Naomi's example provides hope to keep going until you're on the other side of the dark valley that you're currently in. So let's start reading. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Finally, the thing we've been cheering for, hoping for for the last couple chapters, Boaz gets married to his new convert wife, Ruth. She's a part of the community now. Think about her story, how it's evolved in the last couple of chapters. In chapter two, she was Ruth the Moabite from Moab, a widow, a foreigner, lowest of the low. Later in chapter two, she calls herself just a lowly servant. In chapter 3, she calls herself a servant, which is a step up from lowly servant, I suppose, but still servant. And now, she's a beloved wife and mother in chapter 4. In chapter 1, remember as well that Naomi had prayed that God would provide for Ruth a a husband, that she would go back to her people and he would provide a Moabite husband. But God, in his kindness, in his chesed kind of love, answered that prayer in a way that no one could have expected. Now Ruth has Boaz, the worthy man, the man of valor, a man who honored God and was a covenant-following man. And we read that the Lord gave her conception. This was, was a gift that she had not yet had. It was, was not there in her previous marriage. If we're familiar with the biblical story, it, it's hard not to read this verse and think of some of the other miracle births. There's a pattern of of barrenness that runs through the early books of the Old Testament and then reappears with Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. Think of of Sarah, Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 21, Rachel in Genesis 30, Hannah in 1 Samuel, and then Elizabeth in Luke 1. This statement for us that, that God gave her conception is to make it clear that God is present and active. The only other time in this book that we're told explicitly that God did something was back in chapter 1, verse 6, where we read that Naomi decided to get up and go home because she'd heard that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. The author here, the narrator here, is deliberately bookending the story with these two accounts of the Lord doing something to remind us that even though we only see at the beginning and end, the whole story, God has been at work. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter in law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Now remember, it wasn't that long ago, maybe a year or so ago, that Naomi had returned from Moab with Ruth empty. She came home and said, I am bitter. And she was defeated and discouraged and even depressed. And the women who greeted her then, who are sitting with her now, have seen a massive change and are now sitting with a completely different Naomi. Her life had had absolutely been filled with a decade of hardship in Moab. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. She was living in poverty, but now the women of the town rightly call her blessed by God. And not only has Naomi's story turned around, but the events that have taken place in Bethlehem over this past year or so has convinced the people of Bethlehem that God is still active among his people. Remember when the book of Ruth is set, it starts for us in chapter one, verse one, in the days when the judges ruled. Remember the final words of the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so we've got this little story set in Bethlehem, where in the midst of a rejection of God on a national level, this story reminds us that God is still at work. It reminded them that, that even though it was hard to see, God had not left his people. The women also rightly declare that this son will be a redeemer, that he would be a source of life and joy and provision for Naomi as she ages. And they declare that Ruth is worth more to her than seven sons, which scripture talks about as being the perfect family. But they also ask that the son's name, and we'll get to the son's name in a minute. They ask that the son's name would be renowned or, or famous is kind of a close translation in Israel. Little did they know at the time that this son would be the grandfather of King David. Little did Ruth and Boaz know at the time that not only would they be part of a kingly family tree, but that family tree would lead down and eventually get to the ultimate king, King Jesus. There's no way that anyone would have known this at the time. As far as anyone was concerned, Ruth and Boaz were just average folk trying to do God's will where they had put him. I appreciate how one commentator, Dean Alrich, sums this up. He says, Ruth and Boaz, they acted faithfully because... Of love for God that showed itself through a love for God's people. There was no ulterior motive or a give-to-get strategy. Ruth and Boaz were not trying to merit favor from God. They simply evidenced their commitment to God by putting his word into practice. What God would do with their faithfulness was up to God. The reference to King David indicates that God was working behind the scenes to accomplish something bigger than just redeeming Elimelech's land. He used their faithfulness to bring King David and later King David's greater son, Jesus Christ, into the world. By their faithfulness, they participated in the establishing of God's kingdom on earth and realizing of God's plan for salvation. Now listen, I hope this little piece here is encouraging to you as well. Today, it's so easy for us to get trapped in the comparison game of, well, what do I have to offer? I'm just in some small town off in the, the outskirts there's always someone else to compare yourself to and, and put yourself down. Our lives can seem so, so ordinary. But the Apostle Paul, writing to the church later, points out that, that many or maybe even most of the people that are building God's kingdom in any era are just regular people being faithful in the everyday stuff of life. 1 Corinthians 1, he says this For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you are wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. I love this. Our job is to be faithful in the everyday, seemingly ordinary stuff of life. Jesus has done the big work already. He's the one who went to the cross to redeem us from sin. He did the big work that that when we were once spiritually empty, now we can be filled with the Spirit of God. Because of his work, we're heirs of the kingdom that's in this life and forever. And even now, in the midst of a global pandemic and, and disruption, God is working in and through our lives to build his kingdom. Our job is to be faithful in the everyday, seemingly ordinary, but potentially sacred moments. And God will use our long obedience in the same direction to do more than any of us may ever realize. And that's the thing. We actually don't have to understand all that God's up to, and maybe we never will. But like Ruth and Boaz, we submit to God's way of doing things. We allow him to point us the way we should go, and we trust him to keep on doing his work. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse, became like a foster mother to him. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This picture of Naomi is one of the most beautiful images in all of Scripture. No longer is she filled with tears and pain, stress and depression, but she's once again at rest, and she's once again full. Though she no doubt spent a significant amount of time bitter and angry and questioning God, she now holds her grandson. She is full again. And the women of the neighborhood named the child Obed, which means servant or worshiper of God, Servant is such a a massive term throughout the Old Testament. We can spend a lot of time tracing it through, especially through the books of Isaiah and Zechariah and Job. But but let me just quickly summarize by saying that, that the servant theme covers, again, a whole lot of Old Testament material and puts together several related ideas that explain and point to God redeeming people. And so this child being named Obed links this short little book of Ruth with the massive theme of servanthood in all the Old Testament. And it points us to God providing a way of redemption for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. Then when we get to the New Testament in Jesus, we see the completion of all the foreshadowing of servants in the Old Testament. Jesus is Isaiah's suffering servant. He's the the smitten shepherd of Zechariah. Job foreshadows Jesus for us by being the righteous sufferer that's, that's continually praying for those who believe in him. And so Obed is one among a line of many servants who live to show God's plan, show God at work in the world, and ultimately point people to the servant, Jesus. And that's our job as followers of Jesus, too, to, to love and serve in obedience, pointing others towards the great servant, our great king, Jesus. Let's look at these last couple of verses. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. The book closes with a genealogy which may seem like it's kind of an afterthought thrown in there to fill some space, but it really does drive home the message of the whole book of Ruth. See, in the midst of all that's been going on and all that is going on, God is still in control. And God continues to use people for his purposes and to build his kingdom. We could look at each one of those names and we can look at that list of names and we can find some serious character flaws, some serious brokenness, some serious sin. And yet God worked in and through them right through Ruth and Boaz to King David. Second Samuel 7 promised that through David's lineage would come the true once and for all redeemer Jesus to establish an eternal kingdom. And then a thousand years or so later, in Matthew chapter one, we record, we see the, the genealogy of Jesus and it goes back and we see Ruth's name. It's the only other place in the Bible where Ruth's name is mentioned. So what can we learn from the book of Ruth? First, it's all about God's never stopping, never giving up, always and forever, said kind of love. We need to to grab that and run with it as much as we can. But also, what we need to grab from here as well and take from here is that that God uses the faithfulness of godly people in the everyday, ordinary stuff of life to build his kingdom. And so, the challenge for us is this Do we believe that, that God will take care of us like he did take care of Ruth and Naomi? Do we see our situation and do we see our circumstances as an opportunity to glorify God with our obedience in the everyday, ordinary stuff of life? Is God's promise to provide for our needs so convincing to us that we will unswervingly serve him? And finally, will will we risk everything knowing and trusting in Jesus' promise that whoever loses their life for Jesus' sake will actually find true life, abundant life? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this book. Thank you that your hand is at work, that you are in control, even and maybe especially when we don't see it. Thank you that you use us. And thank you that you use the ordinary, everyday stuff of life to to point others to you. I pray that we would step into that, that you would show us where we can point people to you. Maybe this morning you're hearing this message and uh, the Holy Spirit is stirring something in your heart. Maybe you've known loneliness and grief and hurt and anxiety and emptiness and you long to find real lasting fullness and you want to come to Jesus. Maybe you look back on your story and think, you know what, God can never use me. I'm, I'm too broken, I'm, I'm too messed up, I'm too far gone. Well, let the story of Ruth be an example to you. If you want to uh, come and, and, and follow Jesus, I would invite you to, to admit that you've gone your own way and want to repent and turn back to Jesus. Then I'd invite you to believe that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for you and was raised on the third day, conquering our three greatest enemies in Satan, sin, and death. And finally, commit to finding a community and following Jesus for the rest of your life. If you want to do those three things this morning, to admit, to believe, and to commit, you can pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me all of my sins. Make me brand new and redeem my story. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I can know you and serve you and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, I just want to celebrate with you. If you're watching on our church online site, hit that little raised hand and the I commit button and, and fill out a quick form. I'd love to connect with you following the service. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, you can head to our website. Look for, look for a link in the comments or head to our website at trinitycamore.com commit and fill out that form there. Uh, we want to celebrate with you. We want to welcome you into God's family.